There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Oh, able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Forever Mighty podcast. We have a very special guest this evening joining me and Eddie, uh, the one, the only Fedorid phenom, Avery Lewis McDougal. <laughs> Did I say that right? Lewis McDougal? Got that right. Nailed it. Let's go. Got it in one. Um, Avery, sir, thank you so much for joining us today. No, of course. It's a pleasure to come on the podcast. I'm happy to be here, boys. Oh, well, we appreciate you lying to the listeners. That means a lot. <laughs> um, so, you know, kind of what kind of started this was uh, we wanted to just kind of talk about the Canadian teams because I think after after the summer that they that let me say it this way after the way the summer has played out, I think all of the Canadian teams are in these really weird and interesting places, and I think you can kind of look at all of them and be close to sure how competitive they're going to be this year, but have absolutely no idea what they're going to actually look like. And I think that's kind of fascinating. So I guess I will start. Avery, which of the Canadian teams do you think had the most interesting summer? The most interesting summer, you know what? I'll honestly say, I'll go to Calgary. I'll say it's the Calgary Flames because you the twists and turns of losing your two big guys. You lost Kachuk, you lose Goudreau. Now, that alone, like, you would have thought that that would have costed Bart Swing his job. Like, we would have thought, like, oh, the Flames are over. You will just ruin them. That's it. But no. Trilving goes out here and gets Uyghur and Huberto. Like, when people thought it wasn't going to happen. Like, out of left field, this happens. And you salvage your trajectory of where the Flames going to be. So I think Calgary will be a team that will contend for a division title because outside outside of the weird round two, Marks was a great, uh, great goaltender before the playoffs hit. Defensively, they are still a strong team. So to me, I think Calgary is a team to watch after their summer. They're going to be a team that will make Alberta fun once again. Also, too, and Nelson Kadri. Nelson Kadri as well, too, mm-hmm. is a Calgary Flame. And 
he is someone where I still think Kadri is a very valuable guy in your top six. Will he fall off a bit? Possibly. But he's still going to be a guy that will get you between 60 and 75 points in that lineup, I feel, guys. Yeah, we, we just did a deep dive on Calgary for our last episode. Uh, our listeners voted on what team we wanted to cover. And it, I mean, it makes sense. Everybody's been kind of looking at what Calgary's done. And it's so weird to say, like, no team I don't think has ever lost their two best players coming off of 100-plus point seasons then somehow maybe got better. Like, they, they, definitely, <laughs> they, they definitely got deeper. Like, I think adding Kadri as a second-line center to go with Lindholm, and then you add Huberto to essentially replace what Goodrow did, and then you add Uyghur to that blue line. Like, it is... It's just a fascinating offseason to see how it started so bad and everybody's like, okay, Calgary's going into a rebuild, it's going downhill. And then all of a sudden they've recovered in a way that, you know, long-term, whatever, these deals will look bad down the road. But right now, like, I, it's amazing to see they, they could be a better team than they were last year. And they were pretty damn good last year too. Yeah, I, I think um, the, the thing with Calgary is, like, I think – they have become more of a Daryl Sutter team uh, just as star, as far as the player profile. And I, I think you're right, Avery. I think Nazem Kadri is a perfectly viable top six guy. I think you should expect his production to drop a little bit. You know, I, I don't know that he's going to be a point per game guy, but I don't necessarily think that's an issue because I think his two way game is strong enough that he gives you a lot of uh, kind of like, just like defensive center depth. Cause I mean, they basically got their top three centers are all defensive guys now. Huh. And, you know, Huberto kind of saves them a little bit. Um, I know they were linked with Evan Rodriguez a little bit. And I think uh, Greg Mashinsky talked to Dan Ferris and that seems to still be on the table as far as a team that might be interested. So, you know, they're, they're in a really interesting spot. And I, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll just ask you straight up. Like, do you think, they are better now than they were when the season ended. Honestly, wow. You know, I it's t- uh, it's tough to lose 200-point guys, like you mentioned right there, Stephen Eddie, but I do think they are a little bit better right now. I do think they are a little bit better than where they, they were last year because I'm not sure, I'm not sure how uh, Kachuk is going to do in, in Florida. I'm not sure how Jonathan is going to do in Columbus. They're, gonna be, they're still going to be great players, though, but I'm not sure they're going to do in their new places. But I think Calgary is going to be a little bit better because that, that division they're in, because with the Pacific Division, it's still a division where you're playing with Edmonton, Vegas, Vancouver, Seattle, LA. It's still a very volatile division. So they could do better than they did last year. They might be another year where they're contained for another division title. So we've got to see, though, because that division is easily the most volatile all of hockey, guys. Yeah, I, I mean, we know there's a few teams that, specifically San Jose that got a lot worse but I think yeah you're you're right uh-huh. like every team in that division in some way or another has gotten a little bit better you know Seattle was really bad last year but they've had a great offseason they've added yes, a bunch yeah. of guys to make that that team better I, you know the Kings have made some key acquisitions the Oilers finally got a goaltender you would think to, to <laughs> actually win them some hockey games and then the Flames had this whole kind of 180, and even Vancouver added a few depth pieces and kept the core guys. So all of a sudden, you know, we were forgetting the Ducks too and we're a Ducks podcast. The Ducks got a little bit better from where they mm-hmm. were last year as well. So it is a crazy division because there's a you know few teams at the top. You could probably put Calgary and Edmonton is still like the top teams in, in this division, but all those other teams maybe barring San Jose are right in this like mix of maybe they could have a really good start and contend for a playoff spot. It's all over the place. I think volatile is the the best way 
to describe this division. I know a lot of people would say it's it's a, it's a really really bad division, but with all those teams being so close together in terms of you know skill level and additions they've made, it it makes it for exciting watch to really try and predict who's going to come out of it. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's it's kind of fascinating that the laner injury really kind of changes the entire dynamic of the division now, because I think before that you would have said that the three playoff spots in the Pacific are pretty much locked up between Calgary, Edmonton and Vegas. And it's a fight for one or both wildcard spots below that. And that's where you're like, ah, maybe LA, maybe Vancouver. But beyond that, I don't know there's anybody in it, but you, you know, I, I think Bruce Cassidy is going to be great in Vegas. I think that team is still good. Excuse me, I'm so sorry. Uh, not having a proven goaltender, I think, um, is is really changes kind of how you have to evaluate them and what you think the expectation is. And, and you know, I think they're a good team, but anything can happen with goaltending, even if it's a stable situation. So the fact that it's far from stable, it really does make the entire thing kind of um, up in the air. The one thing that you mentioned earlier that I have a question about, I guess, is what is because uh, you are in Edmonton. That's correct. Yes. So, well, I want to talk about the Oilers, but I want to ask you this: mm. What is it like with feeling going into the system where, as Eddie said, the two best teams in the division is the rivalry, is the Battle of Alberta? Like, how? Like, I don't. I, it's I'm a little too young to remember when it like popped off and stuff in the before. So like, I'm really, really excited, you know, about seeing this and, and having Kadri come in, uh, even if you did lose Kachuk, I, I think helps kind of keep that craziness level up. And I'm, I'm really excited about what that kind of series can be. Well, I'll say, first of all, the NHL scheduling only three games between these teams next year is baffling. The scheduling is really strange to only play three times earlier season. But Kadri is going to be a guy. Like, he's going to agitate a lot of guys on that roster in Edmonton. It'll be fun either way, though. But I'm, I'm still going to lean Edmonton. I think Edmonton is a bit uh, better team right now. We saw in the playoffs. They can grind you down with their talent. They can outscore their problems. We saw in the postseason last year when Calgary won game one, 9-6. The presumption was that, ah, ha, ha, Edmonton's going out easily. This is going to be a walk. But Edmonton still has Drysidle, McDavid, and and these love guys. They had Kane, who was a big last year for them in the postseason. They had Zach Hyman, who go on Twitter and you'll see Leaf fans are still mad that Hyman is now a spoiler <laughs> in terms of how he played last year. Like Edmonton is still going to be a team that's going to give them a fight, and it's going to be a fun atmosphere because you know I'm younger too. I'm 29 years old, and the team I grew up watching Edmonton beef with wasn't Calgary; it was Dallas. Kids my age from this region, they more be for Dallas and Calgary. Because in the 90s, Calgary was an awful they, – they sucked. They were yeah. awful. I was growing up as a kid. They were an awful hockey team. So now, you're seeing kids my age get to see what that was like 30 years ago. You're seeing the tension build up again. But it's going to be fun no matter how many times these teams play in their regular season and the playoffs. Though. It's going to be a fun rivalry. But I don't think – if they play again the postseason this, this year, I don't think it will be a five-game series. I think this series – goes much longer than five. You play again come summer 2023, guys. Do you 
how do you feel about the Jack Campbell signing? Are you high on it? Do you think it's fine? Like, because like I'm, I like Jack Campbell. I want him to play well. Just, but just I'm say you not, don't like it. Just say you don't like it. <laughs> I'm just not convinced that that was the best move they could have made this summer. And you know what, guys, I'm in the team where they only need okay goaltending to go further. They didn't get okay goaltending from Smith and Koskinen. They got subpar goaltending. And when it's a team that, yes, their top six forward core is better, the defense still had holes in it. And when you got a defense that's suspect with suspect goaltending, you don't win titles with that. You straight up don't. Jack Campbell, I mean, yes, is it a bit, a bit of too much term? Sure. Is it a longer deal than I would like? Sure. But Jack Campbell is a serviceable goaltender. He's okay. He's what he's he's an upgrade on Mike Smith by far, because <laughs> Mike Smith was the kind of guy where he had he would have his heaters where you know he would go seven and zero and have a save percentage of of nine three whatever and then have and then a week later have a run where he's zero and nine and he does he got a goals against average of forty five point three like you can't have <laughs> you couldn't have that like, it couldn't go on any further like and he, and it was even costing too like. Although I didn't think, although Koskinen got too much, too much, like there was too much bashing, bashing Koskinen that there wasn't on Smith, which I didn't like at all. But I think, no, I think they're in, in net, Jack Campbell's upgrade, and Stuart Skinner, I like a lot. Skinner among the three last year was the best goaltender on the team, and he didn't dress in the postseason. Like he didn't play, which I thought was inexcusable because he was the best goaltender on the roster. And I felt he should have played in the playoffs because Calgary. LA and Colorado knew what they're getting with Smith and Sk- and Smith, Smith and Koskinen. They didn't know what they're going to see in Skinner. I felt from a, a very long time put Skinner in because opposing teams have seen very little of Stuart Skinner. If you lose, at least you try something different. If you win, you got your next Dynamo net. I felt. You know, I I like it a lot. I I like. Stuart Skinner being able to kind of be a backup for a goaltender with the demeanor for Jack Campbell, where he's okay. he's just, I mean, we all have seen Jack Campbell interviews, and he's just kind of a golden retriever type guy, where I feel like it's <laughs> it's great maybe for a young goaltender to be the backup in that situation, that he isn't a guy that is going to be upset if you know he has a bad run and a guy comes in and plays 10 games or so, and, and then Jack Campbell has to win the net back. I think it is a good situation for the Oilers now just finding some st- stability. Like, yeah, I'm not a huge Jack Campbell fan. I watched him a lot. Uh, I know a lot of Toronto fans in around you know my area that loved him or hated him or were in the middle on him. But he proved there that he was a, a capable NHL goaltender. And like you said, he's significantly better than, than Mike Smith and even Koskinen to, to some level as well. So it, it gives him s- some stability there. I, I For me, like the I love the Jack Campbell signing. The big thing is bringing Evander Kane back. Like you had briefly mentioned, his postseason for the Oilers was unbelievable. Almost a goal per game, I believe, in, in the playoffs. And now potentially playing with Connor McDavid. We talked about for how many years the Penguins couldn't find wingers for Sidney Crosby in the early stages of McDavid's era. They can't find wingers for this guy. They can't find guys to play with him. Well, now all of a sudden you could be rolling out with Zach Hyman and Evander Kane for full 82 games to play with Connor McDavid. That that's going to be scary and a full season of both of those guys playing with Connor McDavid. I feel like they fit him so well and to finally have that established as your core first line and then you can throw Drysdale a lot on the second line 
with Nugent Hopkins and Kyler Yamamoto. That that's scary. I really like that that Evander Kane and them being able to find a way to bring him back. You know, Evander Kane. He's someone who you know on the ice. He still has a lot of production. He's still he's still a viable player. Of course, anybody who knows hockey knows the issue with Evander Kane was never on ice production. That was never the issue. Of course, it was off. What happens with him off ice? And I was very vocal in saying that he wasn't someone I would have brought back long term because we know what happened. Because with Evander Kane as personal life, where there's smoke, there's fire. When an ex-spouse has things to say about you, like and there's and there's videos coming out when different teams have issues about you, like San Jose, Buffalo, Winnipeg. It's not all lies. It's not all false. Where the smoke just fire. So he is the kind of guy in which I would not have committed long-term because he is still a person I move very cautiously on. Yes, he kept his nose clean Edmonton, but he is still someone who I would not have committed to a long-term deal for. Uh, on ice, production-wise, yes, he helped his team. Off ice, he's still not someone who I would have committed long term to. Not yeah. to me. No, I think we we had that conversation too, right? When we when Evander Kane was kind of a free agent uh, before coming to Edmonton the first time, because there's a lot of Ducks fans who were because I, I think it was when he was leaving the first time he was in some trade rumors to go to Anaheim, but when mm-hmm. he was leaving from uh, from Winnipeg at the beginning, mm-hmm. so that those those rumors came back up when the whole San Jose uh, situation <clears> went went south with all a lot of his off-ice issues. And we had that same debate where, you know, on ice, this guy would fit perfect. You'd be able to bring him in. He'd be a goal scorer for this team and a team that doesn't have a lot of goal scorers. But then where do you draw the line, right, with all this off-season stuff mm-hmm. and wanting to associate with a guy like that for long-term? And it, it, it's tough, and you, you see it in every sport and trying to, you know, where do you draw the line and bringing these guys in and giving them a second or third or fourth chance at that point, and how does that affect the locker room? So, like you said, yeah, pure hockey standpoint, it makes sense, but then how much does that affect the locker room and how much do those off-ice issues hurt you as a team? Yeah, I think I think it's interesting because I think there's almost kind of three categories, right? There's the pure on-ice hockey part. Mm. Then you have the off-ice hockey part, which is the locker room, you know, the media, that kind of stuff, how he engages with those people. Um, and then there is his personal life. And... I think you said it perfectly. His personal life where there's smoke, there's fire. I think there are significant questions to be asked about, you know, kind of what we're doing as far as him being in the league. But, like, there's – it's an imperfect uh, situation with no real answers. And I I don't know what to do with that. But I think for me, the thing is, like you said, is the term because – He's been ran out now of three different places. Mm-hmm. And he has produced in all three places. So even when he is playing that prototypical high skill power forward speed gate, like I've said this before and it makes me cry every time. Anytime he played the Ducks, he turned Josh Manson into a turnstile at least <laughs> twice a game. I hate it. I hated it so much. Because I am a huge Josh Manson fan, and that was just always one of those things where it's like the worst criticisms of Manson is kind of like his mobility and his foot speed and stuff like that is a perfect display right there. And you're like, ah, that's not great. But, like, it, it is a serious issue to me that, like, he can't stay anywhere, even from a hockey perspective. Uh-huh. And, and, I, and I would have, like you said, I would have had a hard time giving him more than two years. And even then, that feels 
a little risky because if it blows up again, now you're looking to trade him to his fifth team. Like, exactly. what are you doing? Like, I don't know how you're supposed to do that. And I think getting him about, what is it, like 5-1, I think that's that's a solid number from a cap hit perspective. But none of that matters if the whole situation kind of goes up in fire. Yeah, it's true. And the word came out was that he wanted a longer deal. He wanted a $7 million deal. I think the reason why he's still on that deal at Edmonton is because other teams say, you know what, we're not committing to you. We're not giving you $7 million. We're not giving you that much money or a seven-year tier. So I think he really came back to, you know, he always said, hey, you know, if you feel you're worth that much money, go ahead, test the market, see what you get. I think he came back and realized the most he was going to get was what Edmonton offered him this summer. Yeah, I can't imagine there was going to be a ton of teams that uh, were willing to, like you said, give him a longer term or even more money uh, that mm-hmm. could fit him under and, and have that risk of something going wrong or these issues resurfacing and then it be you know them having to do what San Jose did and try and get out from that cap hit and get out from that contract, deal with all the legal issues and everything that went with that. Edmonton obviously felt somewhat comfortable with what they'd seen to do so but yeah you still you still never know right and and their hope is that down the road they don't have to deal with it but you still have all the stuff that that has gone on in the past that you still have to bring with you uh yeah yeah evander kane makes everything fun he uh he really knows how to just just really make the party go um let's see who i want to well let's go to the other rivalry because i think the Hmm. other team that you would point at as far as having the most interesting or crazy summer would be Ottawa who basically just hit hyperdrive on the rebuild. And we're like, we're going for it. They didn't think about defense, but they made sure that that forward group is drastically improved. Do you think they're a legitimate, let me say it this way. Do you think they finish closer to, a wild card spot than first overall. A thousand percent, I agree with that, Stephen. I think right now Ottawa has said, "Yeah, the rebuild is being accelerated. We're no longer here to compete for a lottery spot. We're not. We're not in the debate for Carbondale anymore. We're here to try and become a wild card team or win another division. Because when you when you tr- when you bring in uh, again Claude Giroux, Alex DeBrincat." You're telling people you're here to contend in the Eastern Conference. I like that because Ottawa has been a punching bag for a very long time. I, you know, I want to see I want to see Brady Kachuk win. I like Brady Kachuk a lot. I think he's a great player, great personality for the league. I mean, the the kid went out to Calgary wearing Flames gear to support Matt. Like, how can you not love that? Yeah, if you're 100%. watching the hockey, like, no, I I really think Ottawa is going to be a team that will contend for a wild card spot in the Eastern Conference, and they're going to be a team if they get in. If they get in, I think they could be a team that might shock people and possibly win around, I think, as well, too. Yeah, they've, they've got a lot of depth. And, I mean, obviously adding Debrinket and Claude Giroux to Batherson, uh-huh. Norris, Kachuk, Tim Stutzler, like automatically that gives you one of the best, most skilled top six forwards in that division, let alone the rest of the league. Just with all those guys having 60, 70-point potential as like a bare minimum, that's what they all were on pace for or hit last year and you think Drake Batherson only played I think 46 games if he plays a full healthy season if Josh Norris can stay healthy if all these guys can play at mm-hmm. least 70 to, to 80 games that that's pretty scary and I'd, I'd put their top six up with a lot of other teams and you know we 
we looked at Toronto and there was a lot of, I think there was a couple of Toronto fans or a couple of Sens fans who had joked about the fact that the Sens top six is better than the Leafs. And I think when you look at all six players individually and, and, and them as a group, like that's not a, that's not a out there argument to say that their top six is better. We all know Austin Matthews is the best player of that entire bunch. But when you look at them as mm. a whole and Michael Bunting and Alex Kerfoot are part of that top six for Toronto, Ottawa is, as a six-man roster of those forwards, they, they might have the better bunch. It's going to make, finally, the Battle of Ontario fun to watch again, at least a little bit more competitive than it has been over the last few years. And I think for the first time in a long time, you're going to have the two big rivalries in Canada actually mean something for a season rather than one team just kind of bullying another team or another team, you know, Ottawa providing the upset for the Leafs' uh, hopes of making the playoffs or going far in that division. So it'll be nice to see because for the longest time, like you said, it was Edmonton and Dallas or Toronto and Boston as the rivals, and now you've got the Canadian matchups back and, and hopefully thriving. No, I agree more. Yeah, because I, I remember, yeah, I remember um, Stephen, the, um, I remember Eddie, the, um, the Toronto-Ottawa matchup early, early 2000s. Like, those are fun to watch. It was fun to watch those two teams go back and forth, seeing Ottawa win a few, seeing Toronto win a few. I mean, Ottawa, Ottawa, um, Toronto was when we that, that produced. That was, there was the Sen scoring on Chris Joseph, and Kujo pulling on McMagoo. That, that's what that, that came in that series. <laughs> that's I. Oh my god! I don't know how you remember stuff like that sometimes. <laughs> like that is my I, brain. I, is. I'm, a, I'm a weird, I'm a weird treasure trove of sports knowledge and sports moments. Where it's like, remember this thing in, in 2002 where this thing happened? I'll post it on Twitter randomly. Like, <laughs> I respect it, man. I I have that, but it's all bad memories of UCLA football from when I was a kid. Um, I, so, all right. So I, we, me and Eddie talked a little bit about how we wanted to structure this, and we had an idea of like trying to do like a buy or sell kind of thing. So I'll, I'll throw the first one of those at you. Yes. Buy or sell, Jacob Chikrin is on the Senators by the end of this season. Ooh, wow. Buy or sell, Jacob Chikrin on the Senators. Buy or sell. I've, I, I'm going to say buy. I don't know why, I don't know why but I feel like I'm going to go buy that one. I really am. I think yeah. I, I think so. I, I think I, I think he's the most likely destination is, is Ottawa right now. I think they're all in. They clearly have gone all in with the the trades for Debrinket and mm-hmm. bringing in Talbot and bringing in Giroux. And the the one additional piece they need is a defenseman to go with Shabbat and Sanderson. And you can say what you want about having your three best defensemen all be left handed, but at the end of the day, they need a quality left or quality defenseman to add to that core if they want to do something yeah. if they want to be competitive and he's really the only name left out they were in on Uyghur and he's gone now and you know they had the whole connection with him being from Ottawa and and that didn't pan out for them they I think they're desperate to do something to start of the season that might be tough but by the deadline I'm I'm buying in I think he's part of the sense by the deadline I know Eddie and he, he's still young he's a 24 year old D-man like you a young D-man who can Who's strong defensively and, and can put up points when need need be? I mean, come on, that's the kind of guy you would love to see in Ottawa. Yeah, and he's got a nice yeah. contract too. I think he makes four point four for the next couple of years, so it's a it's a win win. Yeah, I mean, that's what we talked about during the years when his name came up. Is like his numbers in Arizona this last year took a big drop as far as his production, but his defense improved, and that mm-hmm. was on a worse team. So, like, I, I think there's really very little reason to worry about the production because you can see that all the talent walked out the door but the fact that even on a really bad team his defense improved 
Yeah. I, I, I think there is every reason to be all in on him. And, and I wonder if they would consider moving Sanderson for him. Oh. And because now the thing with Sanderson is, is he's young and it's, it's weird for Ottawa. Cause like other than Giroux, all of their guys are really young, 26 and under. And I think only like two of them are. And, um, you know, Sanderson is, seems to be of a quality that you are willing to wait. But you also have Claude Giroux for three years. And if you can turn Jake Sanderson into a bona fide top pair defenseman who's going to come in and immediately improve the team in an area that you need to make the most progress in, I think there's something to be said for that. I also think Sanderson is good enough that you can get Arizona to kind of walk back off of this four first round pick thing that they're stuck on, which I get it. I would ask for the moon. Like I'm not, I just think at the end of the day, somebody has to give to make a deal. And I think Sanderson is good enough. You add in the fact that Sanderson's American and now they've already got uh, Logan Cooley. Like there, there's a lot there to be, I think very excited about. Um, from an Arizona perspective about making that trade. And I think for Ottawa, he might be, like, other than Charlie McAvoy or something like that. Like, I, I, I think Chikrin is who you would move Jake Sanderson for. Yeah. In, interesting move. But that's interesting. I, I could see it. I, I think it, if that happens, it's a deadline move, right, where you've gotten to assess Sanderson for 35, mm-hmm. 40, 45 games see how his progress has come from the NCAA. He didn't get the play last year because of injury, so they haven't been able to see him. Moving him now I think is tough because their hopes are that he is going to eventually become, in, in the near future, someone like Jacob Chikrin, and they'd like to add him, I think, to Shabbat and then Chikrin and Sanderson as, as the top three. But inevitably it might come down to if you want a player like that, you have to give up Sanderson because, you know, yes, you have your 2023 pick to play with, yeah, you've got the 2024 first, maybe Shane Pinto, some of your other top prospects, Tyler Boucher. But the real piece in Ottawa's system right now is Jake Sanderson. And it could come down mm-hmm. to it. I could say, I mean, if I'm Arizona, for sure that's the guy I'm asking for because you're not getting you're not getting anybody else on that roster that's that's close to playing. You know, guys like Tim Stutzla and, and Brady Kachuk are going. Yeah, nowhere. you're not getting Stutzla. No, not yet. yeah. So your your next best bet then is Sanderson. And and yeah, if if you're Ottawa and you're that desperate and you've seen a couple games or, you know, hopefully more than a handful of games of Jake Sanderson, you, you think it's worth it, then that might be the route they go. But it's it's a tough call because you, you know they love Jake Sanderson when they took him over Jamie Drysdale in the draft. Like, they, they love this kid, and they think he's going to be something Well, they special. took it. Yeah, I mean, that was the – I mean, they took him over more than a few guys. Yeah. Like, I think it is more than fair to say that they are definitely committed to him. And I think the things about riding his speed, his skating – I get it, man. I love it. Like, I just think, you know, it's one of those things that, like, Zach Lowe says when he talks for the, about the NBA is he says, if you don't want to trade that guy, that's fine. But that means you don't get the other guy. Like, you have to give to get. And like you said, Sanderson is the guy that if I'm, who is it, Zito Armstrong? I don't know. Whoever's in, in Phoenix, that's yeah, the yeah, guy. Yeah, Armstrong. Bill Armstrong. Okay, that's the the name you start with. Jake Sanderson plus, and you go from there. And, you know, again, Jacob Chikrin's really young, so I don't even know that it's really taking a significant step back other than 
you're going to have to extend him a year sooner. But, like, that's not the worst problem to have is be like, oh, yeah, we're going to pay this 26-year-old top pair defenseman more money. Okay, fine. Like, I, I, you know, I don't think there's anything, anything there to be afraid of. And and for Arizona, and for Arizona, Sanderson's game is still developing. He the, the upside there is tremendous. If you're Arizona, you have a young team in the middle of your rebuild. I mean, of course, of course, this year is going to be another tank year. But in a year or two, or in three years, or by the time your new arena is ready for you guys in Tempe, Sanderson could be a bona fide sub defenseman. So I agree that you definitely want to ask for him back. But again, the big thing I guess I'm mentioning. Does Ottawa want to part with him, or is Ottawa going to just say hard, uh, flat out no? But no, I agree. That's the name you do ask for if you do want to make a trade for Chikrin if you're Arizona. Yeah, it's it's kind of what they they've been planning, and you saw that with the guys they've picked, and uh, you know Cooley being going to college, being a couple years away, Connor Geeky still not being fully NHL ready. That they, they they seem to, and I, they made a lot of mention of this in the draft. Uh, whoever I forget the commentators on NHL Network, but that these picks and a lot of what they're doing and guys they're moving out are for when they get out of this arena and can get back to an NHL size arena and have guys ready to go. And, you know, the pipe dream for a lot of Arizona fans still is that Austin Matthews is going to find his way to out to that way during free agency. So I, obviously that, that is something they hope for, but Jake Sanderson fits that timeline, right? Of, you know, he has no NHL games under his belt because of the injuries last year that it might take him a couple years to get going and by the time Cooley is there, Geeky's there, the rest of their guys are there, Dylan Genther, they are in a new arena and started to compete. So, I I mean, listen, I, I wish Arizona the best. I think the situation they're in, it, it, it's, it's funny for everybody to look at the arena that they're playing in, but they are a team that I hope they do well. I, I have no ill will against the Coyotes, and they, they seem to finally be moving in the right direction and building the right mm. way, but... That would be another step in that direction. And as much as I think Chikrin's a piece to build around, the, the the situation the Coyotes are in right now, they've got to get as much as they can for that kid. No, I totally agree. And you know the situation right there? Like, I have no desire to pile on them or make fun of them. Like you, you, I, I've talked to a lot of friends who are down in Arizona, and they're embracing it. Like they think this is going to be a cool and good thing. I mean, of course, of course you want to be. Of course, you don't want to be in a five thousand seat ring. You don't choose to be in there by you know. For any other reason, but, but, but um, because you have to be, but they're embracing it, and they think it's gonna be a fun thing. They think it's gonna be a rowdy arena because I, I want to go down to a game down there. I think if you pack that place with two or three thousand rowdy, it can become a very hostile building very quickly. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a tough place to play. Like I, I don't, put, I don't think many people are traveling oh. to watch the away team down there. So it's gonna be <laughs> a fairly centric home, uh, hometown arena, home fan arena. Um, and they're tough, man. Like you talk about in other sports, going to smaller arenas where they're packed to the brim and it's all opposing fans and they're all screaming at you. They feel like you're on top of them. It, it's going to be a joke for a little bit until it becomes a tough place to play because you can't really, you're not used yep. to it. It's not a regular NHL arena. It's you're, you're not in a nice cushy dressing room. Everything is kind of working against you. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. Now, Arizona's not a good team, so a lot of things aren't going to go well for them next year, but it might, might might quickly turn into a tough team and not a fun to place for a lot of teams to play in. I mean, look, you put two to 3,000 uh, ASU fans anywhere, and it's going to be a hostile environment. <laughs> so I think that's, you know, I think that part's a given. But I, 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 I've gotten into this... Uh, I, I talked, I guess I should say about this, to Mike Gould on Twitter, who oh. writes about Calgary. He writes about um, 
Arizona. And much like you said, Avery, I I really don't want to pile on in certain ways, right? Because I do think there are fans there that are really invested in that team. Mm -hmm. And they have been done a disservice by how sloppy the ownership situation and the managing of that team has been done. What bothers me about the ASU stadium is that at the end of it, I there isn't yet a complete concept at the end of it. This is a, we're basically giving ourselves three years to figure this out as quick as possible. And so for me, I think that's the part of it that like, I'm just like, just put them in Quebec. What are we doing? Just move them. Like, I don't even care anymore. Move them to Houston, move them to Quebec. I just, you know, I mean, I almost want to stop talking about them just because they're not a Canadian team, but they are going to end up in Quebec in the next couple of years. So it actually is fine. Um, but yeah, I, you know, and Eddie, for the record, you let me know if you want to come down to uh, Arizona when we're in December and you are up to snow in here and Arizona <laughs> is just nice and 85 <laughs> degrees. I think uh, I think we could get some serious snowbirds and, you know, yeah. get down here and, and really listen. My, make my winters snow. aren't nearly as bad as what I'm sure Avery's dealing with out in Edmonton. I've, I've seen and heard some stories about the, the winters out in Alberta and, and uh, Saskatchewan. <laughs> they are they are not fun. Like they I think they're bad here, but there's nothing, nothing compared to out there. Edmonton winters are, oh my gosh, there were some days covering oil this year going to Rogers Place. There were some days I'm thinking to myself, like, why am I going? Like, do I have to go for this game in the middle of minus, in, in, in I'll, I'll, put, I'll put in Fahrenheit for Steven, say, go, go to a game where it's six degrees Fahrenheit or five degrees Fahrenheit. Like, I don't want to go. It's I really nice don't. Because, like, there'll be some days you get into Rogers Place and it'll be like, finally, I'm in just okay heat. My face isn't gonna break off because it's so frozen. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've, like December I, and January were so. I've gotten up nowhere here. near it. I lived in Sudbury for four years, and I feel like that was the closest I got to it. And I still talked to people I know from out that way, and they're like, "Yeah, that's like half of what we get <laughs> compared to." So yeah, it, it's it's mental. It's it's a whole nother world of winter out there. It's insane. Yeah, I live in LA, so I don't know what any of this stuff you guys are talking about is i've actually never seen snow in real life I, it's a it's a thing that exists in the movies uh, you know, you know what? it you know what you know eddie myself we're gonna get you some tickets you're gonna come see a or- orlis ducks game in the middle of december you can experience it yourself yes <laughs> let's go let's do it yeah right that's awesome it, right in the dead we'll, of winter too. we'll do like yeah. a uh, like the We'll do like one of those like Arsenal fan TVs, and we'll just like me swimming through the snow trying to find Edmonton fans. Awesome. It's one of those ones where you'll, you'll get um, out of the cab and you'll want to get into the building as quick as you can. You don't want to stay outside for as long mm-hmm. as you have to. I might not get out of the cab. I might make the cab drive up to the doors, man. I'm not. Again, I'm from Southern California. I'm not doing this. Like that's not. I don't have a heavy jacket. Like I don't need one. I have it's sweaters. It's always funny though. It's always funny meeting. Um, it's funny whenever the beat writers from pulling teams come in. You can always tell they don't travel much to Canada when it's not hockey season because you can tell it's always the one beat writer who comes from say, L.A. or San Jose. Even you know they cover hockey. There's one piece of clothing you can tell is not built for a Canadian winter. <laughs> hey, man. I, you know, we just don't have it down here. I'm sure Russo, is, being in Minnesota, is more than, you know, good. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's more than a few people in, you know. But, like, a Sunbelt people, man? I, you know, again, like, 
bundling up means putting a blanket over your hooded sweatshirt. Like that's it. Like that's you know, it's like, oh no, it's sixty degrees tonight. Let's get you know, careful. Oh, I, I, my heart breaks for you. Sixty degrees. Oh, I feel so bad for you, Steve. You should. I. You should pity me very much. Um, so I'm I'm kind of torn, but I, let's do this real quick. Yes, Avery. What the fuck is happening in Winnipeg? <laughs> I I'm trying to understand it. <laughs> I still don't like. It is easily the most bizarre of all the Canadian teams in the league right now. I don't know what they want to do or what their approach is going to be like. Uh, like for all we know, they're going to shock the world and win the, and win the central somehow. <laughs> somehow, it's going to happen. I mean, look, they they still have. Connor Hellebuck, Mark yep. Shifley, Kyle Connor, Pierre Luc, like there is a version where they win every game three to two, and you're like, okay, they're a competitive team that we kind of have expected them to be, and they have exactly one good defenseman, and we really hope we can have him out there for the right moments. But like, I don't. They finally move on from Paul Maurice, and now they're at Rick Bonus, and I just don't. I, I don't understand that move, and it feels that Shifley is getting closer and closer to 30 if he isn't almost already there. And, like, at what point do you have to start looking and moving on? Because, like, I don't know how much longer you can kind of try to have Shifley, Wheeler, Connor be the core of that team. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I really just – I have so many questions about Winnipeg and no answers. And ever since they went on that run to Western Final, they've been hitting that brick wall of out in the first round, out in the second round, out in the first round, out in the second round. They keep hitting that brick wall ever since they made it to Westfall in 2017. And a great point you mentioned right there, they bring in Rick Bonus, who I don't think is the right coaching hire at all. Like, we saw what happened with him in Dallas. And again, I mean, we got the joke, you know, oh, more recycling, eco-friendly NHL, you know, so eco-friendly while they're recycling, but it's like... <laughs> He's not the guy at all. Like, that was not the guy whatsoever for the Jets. Like, the moves they made have been just baffling right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, yeah. it makes no sense. I mean, like, it, there was, I think it was clear in public that they were trying to get Barry Trotz, and it just didn't happen. And then they kind of scrambled, and who else is available? Okay, and they ended up on Rick Bonus. And I, I feel like the Jets are built a lot similar to the Stars that Bonus mm. was coaching. And it didn't work out that well there either. And they've got a similar type of build of some older players and Shifley and Wheeler, some young, exciting players like Connor and Dallas has Robertson. And then I just don't know how it's going to work out. Like I've I've liked what they've had for a while, and I've always wondered why they haven't been able to get over you know get over the hump. Shifley's a really good player. Wheeler kind of resurged a bit and became an excellent player for them. They've bring in Pierre-Luc Dubois for Patrick Laine and on paper like that worked out and they became a deeper team and Kyle Connor they missed the playoffs last year and Kyle Connor almost scores 50 and has 93 points I don't know what they need to do and then they did nothing this offseason Cole Perfetti 
I guess is their hopes next year that he's going to jump up and, and be able to solidify the rest of that top six. But yeah, they're, they're in such a weird spot because they're one of those teams that you look at and say, yeah, they could miss the playoffs easily next year, or they could just outright win the division because they have a lot of talented players on that team. <laughs> yeah. And if everybody buys in and they figure it out, they could win. And like, I don't, man, I have no idea what's going to go on. We could hit the deadline and Shifley Wheeler and Pierre-Luc Dubois could be out the door and same with Hellebuck. Or they could be in a playoff spot and adding guys onto the roster. So it, it's it's a wild situation for Winnipeg heading into this season. Yeah, I I'm with you. Like I I remember being at a Ducks game and watching Shifley at like 23, 24, just get into it with Gat. And like I am a caveman, man. Like I love it. I'm that shit. Like, that moment, right, like, Shifley has Getsy, right? He's a playmaking first center. Mm-hmm. He's got that feistiness to him. He's clearly someone on the ice that kind of commands a little bit of respect and gets other guys to kind of buy in and stuff. Like, you know, I, I think it's fair to, to say that somewhere along the way he didn't quite hit the potential you kind of thought maybe he had. But – I love Shifley. I love his build. I love, you know, just the way he kind of goes about it. Like, I love it. And it just feels like it's never worked. Like, it's just never worked. Like, and it's not that they haven't had players, because, like, they still have Nikolai Ehlers, like you said, and they've got Pierre-Luc Dubois and all these guys, and they had Line. And, and then it's just, like, you look at the back end, and it's like, oh, I think Nate best defenseman that we've brought in in six years, and that's just not enough. Like, Nate Schmidt is a perfectly good fourth defenseman. He cannot be the answer to our defense is terrible. And I just, you have Connor Hellebuck. Like, we've seen him be great. You need to do more to support him because the offensive talent is already there. Like, you don't need to score more goals. You need to stop letting so many in. And it just feels like at every turn they've moved away from that, except for with coaching. And I just, I don't know that I'm excited that Rick Bonus is the guy to turn them into the defensive juggernaut that they need to be with, you know, because like you said, like, it's a little similar as far as aging profile, but like, they don't have a Miro Heiskanen. Do they have an Essa Lindell? Like, I know people are down on Lindell, but he's certainly a quality top four defenseman. Like, he plays a physical game. Like, I, I don't even know if they have that guy. And I, I just... They lost Dustin like said, Bufflin, and they did nothing. What are they doing? They did nothing to, to do anything yeah, about that it. That, they didn't have a lot around him before, but the moment Dustin Bufflin kind of shocked everybody and decided he was done... They've done nothing to bring anybody in to replace that, and that and they've well, stopped Gabs, Dylan DeMello, and Nate Schmidt, and a bunch of other guys that they brought in. Tyler Myers didn't really pan out the way that they wanted it to, and it's uh-huh. just been Josh Morrissey and whoever else they can add to, to that blue line to follow follow them around right now. And anybody else, like you would think, if a team like Winnipeg should be in on a guy like Jacob Chikrin. They should have been in on a guy like Uyghur, you know, Klingberg in free agency. I know defensively he's not that great, but these are the types of guys that it should be going for. When you look at that blue line that they're running out there on a nightly basis and the, the rest of the team around it is great, they should be a top team in the Central Division with that top six forward group and Connor Hellebuck in the back, but they just can't seem to figure it out with the style to play and then it just the defense core is a mess. It's totally true. I mean, going back to um, go back to um, 1920, 2021, 
the year where they swept Edmonton and they made it to the second round or the the weird year of North Division. Like, they should have beat Montreal. The way Hellebuck was playing, he was lights out. He shut down the top guns at Edmonton and he should have been able to uh, have a better year against Montreal. But again, the court, the team around him struggled against the Hab. The team around him couldn't get it done. And they should have gone to the semifinals and played uh, Vegas in that, in that round. They should have gone further. And again, last year, they missed the playoffs. Like, this is a team in which, if I'm Connor Hellebuck, I'm frustrated right now because we keep hitting this wall over and over and over again. It's like Groundhog Day for him right now as a Jet. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think for us, you know, in Anaheim, like, we've kind of looked and been like, huh, world-class American goaltender is kind of getting sick of this shit where the team in front of him can't play defense. That's unfamiliar. Sure hope nothing like that ever happens here. All right, bye. I just, it's just so unfortunate. Like, all right, I'm going to make a very ridiculous statement, and then you two and your your beautiful Maple Leaf hearts can tell me how insane this is. Uh-oh. Connor Hellebuck has had the career people pretend Carey Price has had. Wow. Um... But that's tough. That that's tough because I think the teams that Carey Price has been on have maybe not been similar to the teams that Connor Hellebuck has been on. I feel like they are, you know, they're close enough that that's not a out there comparison. But Carey Price has carried some of those Habs teams as far as he could, and they they just never added anything to that team beyond really him and Subban at times. That could, you know, those early days for Carey Price that they could really make any effort to go farther than they did. And he's just, he's gotten it done throughout his entire career. I mean, you know, internationally, he's been excellent. I, 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 I hate to say it. I, I can't agree with you, man. I, I think Carey Price is, uh, I don't want to say miles better than Connor Hellebuck, but I think the, the career that Carey Price has had, uh, it, it doesn't stack quite up to for Connor Hellebuck yet. Yeah, I agree, Eddie, that um, Carey Price has, has had a much better career. Carey Price is going to go down as an all-time ha- great Habs goaltender. He carried this team through some tough times in the 2000s, the 2010s, and again, of course, his, his junior career. He had a great career in junior. He had a great career internationally with Team Canada. So I like Hellebuck, but Carey Price, to me, is far better, and he's a much better career. And when he does, when he does retire, when he does hang up the pads, I know he's not going to play at all this year, but when Price hangs up the pads... He is going to be a surefire Hall of Fame goaltender in my mind, and he's going to get that 3-1 retired in Montreal. Okay, so two things real quick to counter it, because I'm not even sure how much I believe it, but I do think it was an interesting way to look at it. But I'm going to say two things. One, if you're Canadian, your international career doesn't count. You're the best team in the world. You're the best team in the world. Like, I... There has not been any team that has had anywhere close to the top-to-bottom talent since the USSR that can approach Canada. Canada, you idiot. Um, (laughs) I hate it. I hate myself. So that, for me, is a tough thing to swallow, especially because, again, Connor Hellebuck, the best years of his career, there really wasn't international play he didn't get that opportunity to maybe take one of the better American teams that we've seen in a while on a run. So I think that is a a semi-fair thing to make. 
I also, because I think the big difference between Price and Hellebuck is that Price has that heart. Does Hellebuck get a heart for the season he had? What was it, 2019, 20? Yeah, I think it was his like. Vesna year, he had 44 wins. His Vesna yeah. year. Like, uh-huh. he should have been a heart finalist. He might have finished in the heart, I think, conversation that year. But, like, if he's not in Winnipeg, if he's in Vancouver, if he's in Toronto, he, he went, like, they'll just find ways to give him stuff. Like, I just wonder how much of that, because I don't. I think Carey Price is great. I don't want to say that Montreal is the reason people think Carey Price is great because that's unfair. But I do think being in Montreal, having that kind of ravenous, massive market of hockey fans, like gives him a little bit of a boost in a way that Hellebuck didn't get. He's not Canadian. He's in one of the smaller Canadian markets. I, I just, again, I don't know that I believe what I said, but he's American, so I'm going to ride for him. Um and I, I do just I do really think he's going to go down as as one of the kind of real missed opportunities in in goaltending because I just feel like you know I mean I don't he never had a, an Andre Markov he never had a Shea Weber like I you're totally fair that he's probably played with better forwards overall um, but you know. I, I don't know that the defense has ever been close. Like he never had a Subban, none of that stuff. So like, I'll, I, I will I, say we'll stop his, his best year. So if we compile their best seasons, I would say in that top five of all the best seasons from Carey Price and all the best seasons from Connor Hellebuck, four of them are for Carey Price and one of them are for Connor Hellebuck. And that's the year that he had 44 wins and, and won the Vesna. That year that Connor Hellebuck had that excellent year, the blue line for the Jets consisted of Dustin Bufflin, Tyler Myers, Josh Morrissey, and Jacob Truba, as well as Ben Sherratt and Dmitry Kulikov. That is significantly better than what he's run with since and before that. Yeah, for sure. If we're going to compare it to individual seasons, I think Price has the top three seasons. Hellebuck's season probably falls at number four and then another season from Price. But Carey Price individually, the seasons he's had – they're they're just better, and there's that one season that from Hellebuck, like you said, he probably should have been in the Hart nomination for that year. They were excellent that year. He was on fire that year, but it's it's Carey Price's show, and uh, Connor Hellebuck's lucky to be there. <laughs> I am completely outmatched here by two Canadians, Eddie. I don't know how you talk to us ever. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I really wanted to touch on Winnipeg real quick, but the other thing I want to ask you guys. Who is in a better place going forward, Vancouver or Montreal? Because I think you can make a very interesting argument in both directions for both teams being a contender sooner than the other. And I think they both have legitimate defects to the roster or issues with the roster that will that could be a significant stumbling block for them trying to take that next step. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. 
They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Cricket customers, Max with ads is included with your Cricket $60 unlimited plan at no additional cost. Max is the streaming platform where you can watch Scoob, Meg 2 The Trench, The Nightmare on Elm Street Collection, and so much more. Remember me. Just log in with your Cricket username and password to experience Max on all your favorite devices. We've never seen this before. Max, the one to watch for a good scream with Cricket. Phone plan streams in standard definition. Programming subject to change. Fees, terms, and restrictions apply. See cricketwireless.com for details. You know what? I will I will go with Vancouver, honestly. I will honestly go with the Vancouver Canucks. Are they a perfect team now? No, but under Bruce Brujo, something about them playing for Bruce Brujo, he has unlocked the team that found a way to improve. We saw them last year. They improved They improved vastly in the second half of the year when Brujo came in. And he's he's probably the one recycled, recycled coach who I will accept. Because I don't know what it is. Him and young guys, it clicks for some reason. Him and young guys click very well. He adapts to modern hockey. He's a massive wrestling guy, which I love. So <laughs> I would very big guys. The one old guy coach I do, I will take on my teammate day of the week. But watching what the, the four quarter Canucks last year stepped up in a big way in the second half of the season. And Thatcher Demko is still there. Thatcher Demko is still one of the best goaltenders in the division. And, if, when, and when he's on... He is tough to beat. So I think right now Vancouver is going to be a step ahead of, say, Montreal. I think Vancouver, if they're not going to be a playoff team this year, they dang sure are going to contend for wildcard spot for much of this season. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think Vancouver is in a better spot than Montreal with what they have right now. I, I think the fact that they were able to keep that roster together – Keep Besser, Patterson, JT Miller is still there for at least right now. Quinn Hughes is there. Thatcher Demko seems to be on the up. And I think Vasily Podkolzin is ready for a breakout year. And they still have Hoaglander there who, you know, Mm. he had a tough year. But I think he he is hopefully going to have a rebound for them. I think with all the pieces they have now is what Montreal hopes they're going to be in the next two to three years with Slefkovsky and Suzuki and Caulfield uh, and, and the rest of those guys. So... Yeah, Vancouver for me right now. The the only problem for them is their defense beyond Quinn Hughes is not great. Yeah, uh, you know, you've got Ekman Larson and Tyler Myers, and I think Travis Dermott was just added, but it's it's not exceptional. So they would need to address there, but just where they are, I have more faith that Vancouver could challenge for a playoff spot in a volatile Pacific Division with the roster they have than Montreal going for a playoff spot in in what is still going to be a tough Atlantic Division. Yeah, I, I think, uh, Avery, what you said is dead on. I think for me, the the two things that I trust more than anything about him is uh, American goaltender Thatcher Demko, uh, who is great, um, and Bruce Boudreaux. I, I really do think that having uh, a team with guys like uh, Pedersen and Hoglander and uh, Besser, like those are the type. But I... I, I I do think that they have kind of the firepower. I, 
I I'm not quite as down on Ekman Larson. I'm definitely down on uh, Myers and Pullman and some of those guys, but I I really like a lot of the pieces that they have, but I wonder, so I'll do it this way. Buy or sell, JT Miller signs an extension with the Canucks. He's dealt at the deadline. I don't see him staying long during Vancouver. There's been too much smoke about the idea of him being dealt for him to be a Canuck for much longer. I think he's wearing a New Jersey by the deadline at the latest. Yeah, I, I would say so too. I, I don't know if they can keep him around with everything that's gone on like you said the rumors that have come up around him, the teams that have been interested in him the fact that they still have to pay some of these guys down the road as well uh and sign some extensions to some of the young players like this is a guy that's gonna want around nine nine and a half million dollars he almost had a hundred points last year if he does it again this year you know he's gonna ask for that money I don't think Vancouver's the place or even in a position to give a guy that is, is you know, as old as he is with the rest of this core that much money. So um, it'll be tough at the deadline. Like They're going to be faced with a tough decision because they could be in a pretty good spot. And moving on from a guy who could potentially be your top scorer at the deadline is tough. So it might be one of those situations where you just have to, as much as the return could be amazing for a player like that, you might just have to keep him and go on a run and hope that you can do it. And I mean, it, it's all going to come. It's all going to come down to where they are in the standings at that point. And if they're mm-hmm. fighting for top in the Pacific Division, that's going to be a tough, you know, tough let go for them to get rid of him. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, if they're yeah, if they come out of the gate and they're number two in the division or number three or even almost leading it, that's going to be really tough to trade that kind of production. But if they're treading water and they're struggling. And they are having, and they are near where San Jose might be, which they won't be. But if they were where San Jose is, then yeah, there's definitely going to be a case where you're going to sell high on JT Miller, somebody to a contender. I actually feel like a big jerk right now because, like, me and Eddie have talked about this before, and like one of the things that I wish the NHL was better about was not having to win every single personnel transaction. I really kind of hate that everything is asset management now, right? It's like, we have to trade this guy and get a pick. Even if it's a seventh, we have to get a pick or we got to move on or we got to lock these guys up. And and these teams just kind of rush into these decisions. And we see it in the NFL. We see it in the MLB. We see it in the uh, NBA that players just hit free agency and they just go and meaningful players. So I really don't like that. This is where I'm at, but like, to me, JT Miller either has to have an extension signed or they have to move him because the return for him will be significant. And that is the thing for me that like it, it really, yeah, it, that, that kind of is going to define their, their season, I think, in a lot of ways, which is what do they what do they do with JT Miller? And, you know, Besser, I think, only signed a one year deal. I think Bo Horvat signed a one year deal like They've got guys that they're going to have to pay. Like he and Pedersen, I think, are going to have coming up for uh, extensions not all that long from now. And, like, you know, JT Miller's really good. And he's probably going to command close to, you know, eight, nine million dollars. And, like, I don't know that you can afford that. Like, especially if you can maybe get a high end defensive project uh, prospect, which I, I don't know that. Um, 
they have in their system right now. I, I, you know, I don't know that any of Vancouver's best prospects are defensemen and, you know, using a, a, just a top line forward to go out and kind of address that. I would be very hard pressed to pass up that opportunity. Um, I think, and, and, and I really do think the JT Miller situation is the fundamental question of the Canucks season this year. Yeah, I would, I would say so. I, I think it, it's going to be a tough to decision, no matter what it comes down to where they are. Um, you look at how they finished the season from Bruce Boudreau. I think there's a lot of optimism that the Vancouver Canucks are going to be a better team. I think when you look at their roster on paper, they should be a better team. They they are more likely to be the team they were when Bruce Boudreau came in for that, I think it was 50, 60 games that he was there for. They should be that team. They should be a team who could win 45 games in a season. Uh, if everybody stays healthy, they've got a good enough forward core to do that. They added Mikheyev to that roster. Uh, we mentioned um, Pod Colson is potentially having a breakout year, uh, and Thatcher Demko seems like he's on the up and ready to go. For me, again, it just comes down to the blue line, where you've got teams like Calgary who are well-rounded across the entire you know depth of their roster. You've got Edmonton who their defense is still questionable, but it is a lot better than what Vancouver has. They they've got a couple good young guys in Broberg and Bouchard that are ready to take the next step. They've got Darnell Nurse everything you know and they finally got a goaltender so everything's going well for them the kings as much as it pains me to say it they've made themselves better jonathan quick and and cal peterson i think is still decent for them and their defense core as long as dowdy can stay healthy is better than what vancouver can run over the boards right now so that's the big question mark for them because as much as i love quinn hughes he can't play defense as well as he can put up 60 to 70 points in a season and they've got nobody else to help him do that and the big hit swing and a miss for them was Oliver Ekman Larson and bringing him in it just did not work out the way they expected it to and now they're paying this guy seven and a half million dollars to to do what he does on a nightly basis so that that's going to be the big question mark for them is that defense and if they're in a position where JT Miller can help them address that and get a young defenseman that that's the one move I think you pull the trigger for with the rest of this core being relatively young I came up with a crazy idea, and so I'm going to – Eddie, you're Vancouver. Avery, you're Calgary. And I want you to tell me which one of you says yes or which one of you says no. Huh. Uyghur, Dubé, and a 23-second for JT Miller. Ooh. Oh, yes, that's what I was looking for. That's – Yes. Uh, yeah, it's a 20-23 second, you said? 20-23 second, yeah. 20-23 second, that... Uh, it, it's so tough, because like, if you're making that trade as Vancouver, you're still in a playoff spot. You would hope so, right? Because Uyghur is still... You're, you're going to make your competitive mm-hmm. Dubé adds to the depth, and the second is what it is what it is. It's just a kind of a filler for that piece. I think the trade helps both teams. Um, I mean, it... it, it for Calgary, it just makes them exceptionally even more uh, deep on offense with some superstar players. Uh, I don't even know who shifts down at that point. Uh, you move, you could potentially move Linton back to the wing if you wanted to do it at that point. So I think for Calgary, if you don't think you could sign Mackenzie Weger or you think you're fine without him, which they showed last year they can be defensively fine without Mackenzie Weger then I think it's a no-brainer for them. For Vancouver, it's a little bit tougher, but I, I think Weger 
he adds a lot to that blue line that they don't have already. Uh, but yeah, I, I still, as Vancouver, it's very tough, but I, I still think you can get more. And I always lean towards the futures and the prospects when, when moving a guy of that caliber who can get you as much as he can, I would look younger for a defenseman. You know, as Calgary, you don't, your year isn't going to be broken if you trade away Mackenzie Weger. If he doesn't want to come back to Calgary, he doesn't sign long-term. It is what it is. Miller is, again, a, a guy who almost had 100 points last year. You add even more offensively to your top nine unit by bringing him in. And you send a message across the bow to Edmonton, Vegas, anybody else, that we're not messing around. This is our year to go for it. Win a championship that you're pre- you're telling the rest of the Western Conference you're going for it for a title if you bring in uh, JT Miller to what you already have offensively. I, again, and if we get, and if we get doesn't re- again, it's a win it's a win win deal for both sides. If we get doesn't want to stay in Calgary long term, all right, it's been a it's been a fun forty games. We're gonna ship you off to Vancouver again. You're getting a guy who was almost a hundred point guy, adding it to guys like Huberdeau, uh, Lindholm. Uh, Kadri, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Ma- Andrew Mangiapane, who had another who had a strong year for Calgary. Like, you're just adding to a, the Western Conference contender. Like, you're telling the rest of the Western Conference that, you know, the Tal's going to run through Calgary this year. So I don't see a, a losing point much for the Flames if you're Bratch Living. I like it. I, yeah, because I, I think, uh, you know, for me, the thing is, is like, JT Miller, like, if you turn Matthew Kachuk into Jonathan Huberto and JT Miller, you're in a pretty good spot. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, now you're looking at a thing where your second line is Manjapani, Miller, and Kadri. I, I mean, you can even put Miller up on the top line with Lindholm and Huberto, and that might be better than the line was last year with Goudreau and Kachuk. Like, I, I you know... For Vancouver, it's kind of uh, it, it kind of shifts you into a more let's be competitive immediately window. But I, I think they have the personnel to justify that kind of decision, given uh, the number of top six guys that they have that are are clearly in their primes right now. So I yeah I don't it just kind of came out of nowhere, but I, I thought that was a an interesting swap. Um. All right, let's see. Uh, who haven't we talked about? We talked about all the Canadian teams, I think. Uh, Toronto. Toronto was the one, one the one I wanted to get surprising. Oh, surprisingly, we haven't talked about Toronto. But oh, I, oh that's I, right. I have a crazy idea that I haven't even told Eddie about for this. So, okay. TSN the Sports Eddie, Net covered cover the want Maple Leafs enough for everybody. But um, I feel like of all the teams in Canada this year, a lot of teams have gotten better, at least have a direction about them. Ottawa's gotten better. Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver to some extent. They've all gotten better um and montreal has gotten you know a worse to to some extent right where they have a plan at least they've drafted slavkovsky they've brought in you know kirby doc they've brought in um who was it uh matheson to to let petri out for the year like they have a plan to go for connor Bedard. the leafs have been this team that everybody knows they need to get better but they just didn't do it. Like they, they somehow got worse. This the Murray Samsonov pairing for me. I have no idea how they went from that, from Jack Campbell to is, that. Is is that the worst goaltending tandem for a legitimate contender? 
Yeah, I, I mean, ve- unless you want to go Vegas route, but I know Vegas Vegas situation is completely different. Losing Robin Lehner, right? Where yeah, that, that's, that's tough. Fair. Their their duo could be worse than Murray and Samsonov, but to go from Freddie Anderson to Jack Campbell to Murray and Samsonov is is very difficult. And then for the Leafs to really do nothing else and just actually lose players, it looks like they're going to lose Rasmus Sandin. I don't know how they're going to end up fitting him as an RFA into the fold. And then losing Mikheyev to another team in Canada to Vancouver and replacing him with Cali Yarncrook, who I like a lot, but it's a lateral move at best. They haven't addressed any of their issues. The issues that they had were depth scoring. They couldn't figure out how to score beyond those top two lines. And goaltending was, wasn't was an issue, I guess, when you had Jack Campbell has now become an issue for them. They didn't add to the defense core in front of them. So like, the Leafs are – I love it because, uh, I mean, I deal with the Leafs on a regular basis here and Leafs fans. So seeing them struggle a little bit gives me a slight bit of, of joy. But at some point here, we've got to get on Kyle Dubas for not being able to figure this out because he's been given a long, long leash so far and – this is a team that year on year, they are a team that everybody says should be competitive, should push for the Stanley Cup, should be one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. They still just can't figure it out. I, I don't know what's going on here. No, and there's going to be a time where MLSC says, enough's enough. We can't have these consistent one round and out runs. Because, again, they have not made the playoffs, or sorry, the second round since 2004. Games were not even on HDTV at all across the North America in 2004. Like, that's <laughs> long as it's been since they won a playoff round. That's inexcusable. And you're right, Eddie. There's going to be a point where, yeah, MLSC is going to say, listen, this is your last chance to both Dubis and to Brendan Shanahan. Because after a certain point, what point do you guys start taking some blame? Because you you changed coaches before. You've gone through numerous coaching changes. You've changed your roster up. At what point? I mean, I, I say I say to someone, I love Kyle Dubas. I think he's I think he's a great hockey mind. But at a certain point, there comes a limit to when you know you tolerate consistent lo- consistent losing in the first round over and over again. Yeah, I mean that was that was one of my buyer sells that I was I and I think you guys both kind of answered it, which is Kyle Dubas is on the hot seat, and I, I think you're exactly right. And I think Avery that you brought up something that I don't think enough people do, which is at what point does this bounce back on Brendan Shanahan? Because he has been there long, obviously longer than Dubas. He picked Dubas. He you know, and I, I think at this point it's fair to say that moving on from Lamorello when they did was the correct decision. But there was. Um, I can. I think was it Mark Hunter yeah. was the third guy in that front office that uh, you know it was between him and Dubis and he went with Dubis and you know Dubis has has made some good decisions but I think he's made some questionable ones as well and you know I don't know any you know heads have to start rolling because like you said like MLSE they are clearly willing to spend like they've had like three guys on LTIR you know, for cap laundering purposes, like every year since like 2010. (laughs) And I love it. I genuinely love it. I really appreciate that Toronto says we're Toronto. We have more money than God and we are going to do this every year. I love it. I think it's awesome. They're going to need to get something back besides selling jerseys. (laughs) Like, at a certain point, they need that second round. Like you said, they haven't been 
to the second round since verses existed in the, in 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 the states. Like mm-hmm. that's insane. That is that is untenable. And and I just you know, I I don't know. You know, I think there needs to be questions asked about the John Tavares deal, which is not to say that he is has been unproductive or has underwhelmed, but he is clearly, this is going to sound really stupid, but like he is clearly the piece of that core that doesn't quite fit. He's what, 31 ish right around now. Um, Uh You know, Marner and Nylander, I think are both about 25. Matthews is 24. Like those guys are still there and they are all going to get extension soon. And Tavares is still going to be on the books. If they have to move on from one of those guys because they can't, you know, move on from Tavares and they haven't won a cup, like, I don't know that anybody gets to keep their job at that point. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation to be in. Like, MLSE is, they, they can be patient and they've shown with their franchises that they're willing to be patient. But when they are ready to move on, it's quick and swift and they will pull the trigger and go. Um, and mm-hmm. I think when you watch the two other major franchises under their their leadership, you know the Toronto Raptors and Toronto FC, and they have plans in place, and you know things have been moving in the right direction. We obviously, you know, in Toronto they have Masai Ujiri for the Raptors, and they've moved from a championship team and moved on from Kawhi, and are now have a plan in place for what they're going to do there. And MLSE is more than happy to wait through tough times as long as there's a clear plan in place. And Toronto FC is going through the same thing where they had won champions with Giovinco and they, you know, had a team in place that was good. And then now they went through the struggling period. And then they brought in Lorenzo Insigne and they brought in, uh, for uh, God, Bernadeschi from Juventus. They brought these guys in and now they're running back through this plan to be competitive again. The Leafs have kind of been in this. We got Matthews, we got Tavares, they were leading up to it, and now all of a sudden it, it was up, 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 and now it's just kind of sitting stagnant for a while. They can't seem to get over this slump of moving farther, moving past the second round, adding the pieces they need to get there, and eventually that patience is going to wear out. And This kind of feels like the season that, they're, that that could happen, where a lot of the excuses that the Leafs have had have kind of gone out the window. And now all of a sudden, it's not a good space for Dubas to be in to run into what could be a you know hit or miss season for him, where he he could be on the hot seat, and he's running into it with Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov as his goaltenders, and nothing else has been added to make this team better. It's it's a tough gamble to be in, and I don't know if it's going to pay off for him. Um. All right. So because. You know, I'm insane, and I have nothing nothing better to spend my time on. I want to jump forward a year, okay? Next summer, mm. Matthews and Nylander, I think. Let me double-check that. Yes, Matthews and Nylander will both be up for extensions. If Toronto goes out in the first round again this year, and Dubas is given... Basically told, like, he's got to figure something out now or to lose his job. My, I want to ask, and this is a very selfish question. Let me be very clear about this. Does Mason McTavish's world juniors and the leadership, the game, the physicality that he has shown, does he get Anaheim into the room to talk about trading for Austin Matthews? 
it is not a one for one, even close. You know, you're probably looking at everybody, right? It's McCavish, it's uh, multiple picks, it's probably Lunderstrom. You might have, you know, there's Olin Zellweger is probably in that trade, right? Like there are multiple pieces you have to send. But my question is, is are we high enough on McTavish right now to think that if this season goes about how we expect it to for him, he can get you into the conversation for Austin Matthews? Uh, I think maybe, listen, I think there's might, there might, you might get you a meeting, but in terms of a realistic um, trade or offer, I don't see it happening. I mean, I'll give you one thing. I think California teams in general have a chance. I think LA is still the very top of that. I think Austin Matthews, I think if you were to say where you want to go, I think his list would be, if you did want to leave Toronto, the Kings are still a leader by far. But I think it, I think Anaheim gets in the door and listen. I mean, you, they, they might listen to an offer, but being realistic, I don't think that's in play still. I think you I, listen to a deal, but realistically, I don't think it's happening for, um, for Anaheim. Yeah, I, I don't think it, it happens for anybody because I don't think Kyle Dubas survives making that trade. I, I just, I think, like, and, you know, jo- jokingly, I don't think he survives getting out of Toronto actually making that trade, but I don't think he survives <laughs> the job, uh, keeping his job by making the trade. Like, we all know Kyle Dubas is in this mm-hmm. right now to win it with Austin Matthews. Um, yeah. Trading Austin Matthews means, like, you the pieces you'd mentioned, Stephen, you're going for a rebuild at that point, and you're in a completely different direction, I think. Whether that you know whether Kyle Dubas was the one to pull that trade, I think immediately after that trade is pulled, he is probably not the GM moving forward for the team. They bring in somebody with a new direction to figure it out. I I can't imagine. Real quick, real quick. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I I here's the thing that I because I thought about that right is that now you have to tear it down, and I wonder could they pull it off like um, the year Boston got McAvoy, where they take a step back for a year, tread water. Hope they get a little bit of lottery luck or something. And that one year, Mason McTavish takes another big step forward. You've still got Marner in his prime. You might still even have Nylander. Like, you've still got real pieces. Um, you know, at, at that point, you've got um, Amarov. Uh, and then who's the kid who has the health issues in Toronto? Um, isn't there a I forward? That's, that, I think that's that, Amarov. Is that Amarov? Emroff, yeah. Okay, okay. So, you know, you have a little bit of clarity with that. Hopefully, you know, hopefully he's able to come back. I just, I I agree that it probably doesn't happen. I agree that they laugh at you on the phone and hang up. But I don't think it automatically means it's a new five-year plan. And that's the one thing I want to say. So I apologize for interrupting you. No, no, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I just can't imagine... Matthews leaves the Leafs in a trade. Um, I, I, it's free agency as a UFA to Arizona or LA or somewhere down this way, closer to his hometown. Otherwise, he's a Leaf for life. But they can't let him do that, right? They can't. They can't let him get to free agency. That's my thing. Yeah. That's the only reason uh-huh. I think it's the, there's the smallest possibility that he could get traded. Not even to Anaheim, just traded. They can't let him leave for nothing. Like, again, I'm going back on what I just said like 10 minutes ago. Like, I hate the asset management thing uh, or, or how much it's it's taken over. But, like, it's fucking Austin Matthews. Like, 
You can't just let it leave. If you're Dubis, the thing you and, hope for is a beefed up version of what they did with Matthew Kachuk, of being able to go out and get pieces to remain competitive. Uh, this team has too many pieces right now that are valuable, at least to them, that I don't think you can afford to you know, go out and even even as good as we think Mason McTavish is, to go out and have that as the main piece coming back. You almost need a top player coming back that you know right now is a, is a top first-line player and then an extra piece to come in the door to still go along with Tavares and Marner and Nylander. And maybe it's a guy that comes in that doesn't make $11 million, so you have some cap flexibility. That's the only way I see them getting it done. But you're right, they are going to be faced with a decision into next season uh, when Matthews will be a pending UFA uh, at the end of not this year but next year that they're going to have to come to a decision on what the plan is for him because he will be heading into unrestricted free agency and from all indications it seems like he wants to stay in Toronto but two years of failure how much does that weigh into his decision of staying with the Toronto Maple Leafs if the Coyotes take steps forward, if teams that he is interested in going to, Anaheim, L.A., start to, you know, their young core starts to come up and they look like they're going to be in a competitive position while also having the cap space to give him the money that he wants. So, I I mean, listen, I I would not envy the position that Kyle Dubas is going to have to be in. You know, this is a guy who is easily one of the top three players in the league, and to think that you could potentially lose this guy at you know heading into his prime that's not that's not a fun situation to be in they hoped they would be in a completely different scenario here where they were competing for stanley cups and this guy would easily put pen to paper on a new deal and it'd be written off already now to eddie's point though matthews does love toronto like if it was his choice realistically he probably is going to resign because you see him on out the ice he loves toronto he's at so many events he's all about the city he has embraced being a Torontonian through and through. So I think the smart money is him finding a way somehow to stay and be much like, I mean, like Connor, like, like David has said before, I want to win in Edmonton. I think Matthews built the same way of saying, I'm not going to leave if I ever do leave until I win here in Toronto first because he loves that market and that playing in that roster so much. Yeah, I mean, they will, they will shoot Nylander into the sun before they let Matthews walk for nothing. So, like, I, I am totally there with you guys. I just I just think, you know, somebody uh, kind of raised this point uh, regarding Toronto, that, like, anytime there's a middling, you know, a middle six player on their roster, that, like, oh, it's coming up. Like, it's a year ahead of time. This is the conversation we're having. Austin Matthews, like, I, you know, it's Austin Matthews. Like, I don't... I don't know what else to say. That conversation, that conversation could start this year. And it wouldn't be insane because it's two years left. He's going to be 26, I think, at the end of this deal. You know what I mean? So, like, I just think it could get really weird in Toronto. And if they don't make a real run this postseason, I think everything's on the table. Like, I don't know what it is but i don't think anybody at that point is safe and and i just you know again like mlse at a certain point they're gonna start really making people putting their feet to the fire and say look you gotta start doing this we're paying you an awful lot of money to win us a championship that we haven't got close to and that's a problem so um i want to do a couple calls and then 
uh, we're going to bother you about the ducks for a couple minutes, and then we'll let you get out of here, sir. So, okay, here's my first buy or sell. The 2023 NHL MVP plays their home games in Canada. There we go. Now, we, now we're good. Can you hear me now? <laughs> okay, yeah, my, I muted my mic for a second. Okay, 2023 MVP. Ooh, I'm going to buy because if, again, if Drysaddle or McDavid are healthy, it's tough to say it's not going to be one of them or even Austin Matthews once again. I think it's really a three-horse race once again between Matthews, McDavid, and Drysaddle. I mean, it's going to be tough to knock either one of those guys off that pedestal of being the MVP. Yeah, I I feel like the answer should be buy. I I want to be different and say sell. And my only choice, if I was to say sell, would probably be Kale McCarr. Of him just mm. having an except, he had an exceptional season last year. Don't get me wrong, but to make up for the loss of Nazem Kadri and then somehow needing to add some offense that he could just explode for ninety to a hundred points, I think that that's in the realm of possibility for him. Uh, but I, I mean, you you still gotta sit by because the three most likely candidates are McDavid, Drysaddle, and, and Austin Matthews, and they all play on Canadian teams. So there's there's a, a real good likelihood that one of those guys are gonna walk away with it. And I mean, even some other good players, you look at Marner, you could look at Kyle Connor and guys like that, and still see Huberto, and and say that those guys could, could walk say. away with it mm-hmm. as well, right? And you know the the top goals. Huberto's the dark horse. Yes, yeah, because with the summer Calgary had, like obviously, all the lo- the light is on him. And if he comes in and they win the division again, they don't miss a beat. Like he's going to get a lot of love, if nothing else, because Alan Walsh is going to make sure he gets a lot of love. Um. So yeah, I, I I'm with you guys. I I do think it's a buy. I think it's insane that you would rather take the seven teams over the twenty five teams. But the three guys that we're talking about, plus the couple of dark horses, like you're not, there's very few guys who can, what I mean, Minnesota is going to take a step back. I'm not sure what Caprizov is going to do. You've got Robo, you've got, you know, uh, somebody in LA maybe can go crazy, you know, uh, Florida, Tampa Bay, like Boston, like there's plenty of teams that are going to be good, that are going to be real competitors and that are going to have a chance. But I don't know if any of them really have anybody that gets close in a game-breaking sense to the big three, which, you know, it's Dreisaitl, McDavid, and and Matthews. Um, Okay. Buy or sell, Jay Woodcroft enters the season as a top-five candidate for the Jack Adams. You know, I'll say if the team gets up to a hard start and and he gets his full 82-game around the Oilers... And they have another strong year where they are finishing either second or winning division. I definitely think he's in strong consideration if he doesn't win it entirely. Because we saw what happened last year when the Oilers, like, before Jay Woodcroft was hired, the Oilers were literally dead in the water. Like, that era of Dave Tippett, they were free-falling incredibly hard. Dave Tippett, in the last month of Dave Tippett's tenure, he won two games in a month. Two games a month as the Oilers head coach. Like, he saved this team from being in a lottery spot. He saved Ken Holland's job. Woodcroft, he saved Holland's job because Holland, I don't think Holland would have been here and missed the playoffs last year. The, and you saw Woodcroft he, and got, depth guys, top six guys said he brought in a system that we like and we understand. He gets that level of buy-in for a full year and Edmonton is again a 100-point team that's threatening to win the division. I think it's 
I think it's a forgotten conclusion that he's contained for Jack Adams this year. Yeah, I, I buy that too. I, I think he enters the season for me as a top five candidate when you look at the rest of the teams. Um, I mean, you know, Daryl Settle will be in that discussion again because he won it last year. But the big question is, can he do it with a completely different team essentially this year? So he'll be in that mix. I don't think anybody in the Pacific Division right off the bat hops in that discussion. I think maybe in the Central of anybody you could put Bednar in the top five again just because of that team and what they're going to do. And then the only other guys I'd maybe put in that mix are Brenda Moore out in Carolina, um, God, why am I forgetting the name out in, in the Rangers? Um, Gallant with the Rangers. Oh, Gallant, that, yeah. Yeah, he could be in that mix again. So I, I'd put maybe those guys as my top five, but I, I think the the way Woodcroft ended that season, what, he was like 26 and, and 9 or something like that, like above, Some, yeah, above 700 uh, win percentage. So, yeah, he, he definitely goes into my top five to enter the season. They have the potential to win 50-plus games. And uh, if you do that, you're you're definitely in the nomination in the running. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you mentioned Daryl Sutter, and like one of the things that like I feel like we've seen pretty consistently is that like nobody wins two years in a row, but nobody loses their two best players in one summer and still remains that level of a contender. So like, I, I am actually kind of uh, stunned that it, the situation in Calgary didn't strike me as more of the potential for Daryl Sutter, who I really do think might be the best coach in the league. Like, I really think he might be the best coach in the league. Like, it's probably between him, Cooper, and Brindamore for me at this point. I think those are, like, three just remarkably good coaches. But I, I completely agree with you guys that Woodcroft absolutely enters this season as a heavy favorite just because he got the buy-in from the team. Every, every what you said is dead on. Like, Mick David could not be more effusive in his endorsement and his praise of Woodcroft. You know, I, I think it was Friedman on one of the uh, 32 Thoughts Now uh, podcasts where he basically said Connor McDavid like strongly endorsed Jay Woodcroft for that final job, um, uh, even during the playoffs in that run. So I, I definitely think that that is, that is uh, a very fun um kind of thing to watch is is how he does in Edmonton this year. Okay, uh, the next buy or sell. The Battle of Ontario has surpassed the Battle of Alberta as must-see TV. Oh, man. Oh, that, that's, a, that's a sell for me going into the season because I think from what we saw recently from Calgary and, and Edmonton, it's still up there. It has the potential this year to be a lot better than Battle Battle of Ontario does, but I, I don't, I can't quite say it's past it as must see must see TV just just yet because Calgary and and Edmonton are are going to be two of the best teams in the Western Conference, let alone the Pacific Division. So, not not quite, but it's getting there. I agree that yeah, it could get there eventually. <laughs> But the must-watch battle is still Edmonton-Calgary. And, of course, on top of the fact that Edmonton-Calgary is going to have a lot of great players involved, there's already that pre-simmered beef. Like, you need that animosity there. 
We haven't had that in a long time with Ottawa and Toronto. You have that now again with Edmonton and Calgary. You've got the back and forth between players. You've got the on-ice stuff. Like, you got the playoff series that these teams had for the first time in, first time in 30 years. Like, there's already that beef that's back-brewing. It's, it's at full tilt right now. So, I'm going to sell on Ottawa-Toronto being the more must-watch matchup than Edmonton and Calgary as well. Yeah, I, I again, like I have a hard time arguing with you guys there. The only thing I would say, as far as your point, Avery, about the beef is the one thing that we have seen in sports that can manufacture uh, tension or beef between teams that quickly is a young, up and coming team with a serious chip on their shoulder. And I don't know that anybody enters this season with a bigger chip on their shoulder than Ottawa because the entire summer has been, damn, Ottawa got good but they're still not good enough. They are going to be intent on proving people wrong. And there is an opportunity for that to really accelerate uh, the, the animosity in that, um, in that rivalry. But at this point, like you both said, it's entirely conjecture and projection. So, uh, okay. Uh, one more, a uh, couple more by ourselves. Okay. The Canucks, Benefit from Vegas's goalie issues and secure a wild spot, wild card spot. My goodness, Stephen. You know, ooh, wow. I am going to. Mm, wow, that this is a tough one. I I like both teams. I like both Vegas and Vancouver into the season. So I'm going to say. I'm going to say buy with an asterisk. Unless Vegas goes out and gets another goaltender. As it stands right now, I will buy on Vancouver doing that. But if Vegas goes out and say they bring in a James Reimer, then I'm going to sell. Where are you at, Ed? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy. Um, I think Vancouver over... Or, sorry, what was... Wait, was it Vancouver overcoming or... Yeah, Canucks benefit. Yeah, okay, I, yeah. So, yeah, I, I buy. I think, I think the Canucks secure the wild spot over Vegas. I think... Vegas going in, if I'm going to judge them on having Thompson, Brassois, and now Aiden Hill versus what Vancouver has. Now the rest, like Vegas's defense, I like a lot better. Their forward group I could put on par. Maybe the superstar level of Eichel and Stone I put above um, what Vancouver has. But I think they could just edge them out across an entire season. It's going to be close. Like They only finished two points behind Vegas, and Vegas had the bad year, and Vancouver had the good second half, so it's going to be close. But I think there's enough there, and I like enough of what I've seen that I think Vancouver can go out and add to their defense in an easier way than maybe Vegas could go out and add and fix their goaltending situation across an entire season. So I, I would give the slight edge and buy Vancouver getting that wild card spot over Vegas. Yeah. I think, um, again, like Bruce Boudreaux, like he just, I don't think he's missed the playoff in his first full season anywhere. And that's remarkable. Like he came into Anaheim halfway through when they fired Carlisle the first time. And like, even though, it, they fell short. That team played hard. That team pushed hard down the stretch to really kind of at least, you know, make themselves be able to like go to sleep at night over the summer, not being like, oh yeah, we completely mailed it in. Like they really pushed. And 
if there's someone who can do it, I, I do think Boudreaux is in a position to get the most out of that team. The problem with that is Bruce Cassidy is the coach in Vegas, and Bruce Cassidy's really good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, like I just – it kind of comes down to can Boudreaux get – six defensemen to play well enough to not completely screw it versus can Bruce Cassidy get one goalie to play well enough to not completely screw it. And I don't know that I want, um, I want either of those jobs. They sound miserable. Um, but I, 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 man, that's, that's a really tough one for me. I, I really do. Um, all right. So that wasn't controversial enough. Let's, let's get back to something we kind of talked about at the beginning of this Buy or sell, the Mm. Ottawa Senators' top six is better than the Toronto Maple Leafs' top six. Ooh, wow. We kind of danced around it a little bit at the beginning, saying, oh, you know, so I'm going to make you guys take a stand here. I'm an American, so I don't have an opinion. I don't know anything about hockey, obviously. (laughs) So I'm just going to make you two go out on a limb on this one, and I'll just hang out over here. I will say Ottawa's is improved, but I'm going to sell on it being better than Toronto's. I still think you cannot say a, a top six with guys like Barner and Nylander, uh, Matthews, is, is is worse than Ottawa's. Ottawa's is getting there, but it is not better than Toronto's. I'm selling on that one. This one is 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 tough for me because I think do it, you I, coward. I think when you you talk about pure individual star power you know Matthews and Marner are the two best players of any of their top six and Tavares is a good very good shell from even being the third best player of them I I'm going to buy that Ottawa's top six is better than than Toronto's and it's very very close but I think when you round out the entire top six the big sticking point for me is is individual players I like a lot more of what Ottawa has versus Kerfoot and Bunting. Bunting is great. I like him. I don't know how great he is without Matthews and Marner because we haven't really seen him without Matthews and Marner. And then Alexander Kerfoot is okay, but he's putting up 51 points because he's playing with Tavares and Nylander. I really like what Ottawa has done. And when you look at it's Kachuk, it's Norris, it's Drew, Debrinkit, Tim Stutzla, who put up last year on a not so great Ottawa team 58 points in 79 games, and Batherson, who was almost at a point per game. All six of these guys could put up 60 to 70 points next year, whereas the only guys in Toronto I'm confident for sure are going to do that are Matthews and Marner. Uh, and it's, you know, Nylander and Tavares. Can, will be in and around that, and Kerfoot and Bunting will be below that. So it's a slim margin, but in terms of overall depth, I'm buying the Sens. I'm on the Sens train that their top six is better than, than the Leafs. I know that's going to make a lot of Leafs fans upset, and that's been a huge debate this summer, but I'll, I'll, I'll buy the hype. I'll take it. Okay. All right, guys. The last buy or sell for the Canadian teams. Uh, and then Avery, we're going to ask you a couple of questions about the Ducks. And like I said, we'll let you get out of here and stop taking right. up so much of your time. Uh, buy or sell, Connor Hellebuck finishes the season on the Jets. You know what? I am going. I'm going to buy. I'm going to buy now. I don't know that. I don't know if the Jets are going to commit to moving him. I think he's going to still be a part of that team. 
that's gonna try and again we we went early we don't know the hell we don't know what the hell the Jets are yet like we don't know exactly <laughs> but I can I can see them keeping him and trying to and try and make a push in the Central Division again under bonuses here so I think next year I mean 2023 2024 possibly but this year I think they're gonna try and make like one final push with him in net to contend for a division title I think in, in, in that Central yeah I I buy that he's gonna finish the season with the Jets too. Uh, I, I, you've got this year and next year uh, under contract for Connor Hellebuck. If you want to make that move, mm-hmm. I make that move outside of the season uh, every yeah. time. I, I don't try and move him at the deadline. You're not going to get what you want at that point. Um, and there is a good shot that that they could make the playoffs. We talked about them being a weird team. You know, the rest, as much as we talked about the Pacific Division, a lot of those teams getting better. I feel like. As good as Colorado is, they've gotten a little bit worse because they haven't replaced Nazem Kadri. Minnesota's gotten worse. St. Louis is in a tough position as well to go back and repeat. Dallas and Nashville, are they going to be better? Are they going to be the same? None of these teams have really significantly improved. And then the two worst teams in the division have now become the worst teams in the league in Chicago and Arizona, so you're going to pick up points in those places as well. So there's a good chance Winnipeg makes a lot of improvement this year. And, and fights for one of those, uh, the, either the wild card spots or that third spot, even the second spot in that division behind Colorado. So I think if he's moved, it's outside of the season. So I, I buy him being a, a Jet for the entire year. Yeah, I uh, I think that's a draft day. That's a uh, that's a draft move kind of thing. Uh, but man, that would be fun uh, if he could he could find his way somewhere else. Um, all right, Toronto, we're going to make you trade for Connor Hellebuck. So then Connor Hellebuck <laughs> automatically becomes a Hall of Famer. I don't make the rules. So, uh, you know, I we really want to talk to you about the Canadian things, but then, like, kind of today was a little bit weird in Anaheim where they, like, added a hockey player to their team. So I guess my question for you, Avery, is mm. where are you on the Ducks? Like, in any way that you want to take that the Pat Verbeek era, the team on its way up, or the, you know, you hate the jerseys, like anything, just where in general are you with the ducks from your perspective? <laughs> well, I will, I will say, first of all, uh, first of all, the jerseys is historically one of the best of all time, original ones, one of the best hockey has had to offer. And I'll say second of all, it's funny. Cause I, I'll give you a brief story. I did not know. I did not know that in hockey lore, I did not know that my old Boston radio, Jason Strudwick, his cousins are Needemeyers. I did not know that. So from months on end, Jason was telling me, you know, my cousin are calling to the, po- in the show today. I think, I think he was lying. I did not know he was being dead serious about the fact that Needemeyers and the Strudwicks are cousins for months on end. I did not know <laughs> until Scott called to the show one day. He's like, oh, dang, you were lying. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was joking. I did not know he actually were his actual cousins. Which, on my part, is embarrassing being a someone who works in hockey. So, <laughs> but uh, but in terms of the Ducks, like uh, honestly, I think the Ducks right now are a their future is I I love I love Troy Zegers, I love Troy Terry. I think these guys are hockey should embrace them entirely. Like Troy Zegers, like anybody who got mad at him for the whole the 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 the, the, the Michigan thing and his skill thing. You're stuck in the past. You're a caveman. Like, this is how we grow the sport. So I love the Ducks for being progressive with that. I mean, Good Morning America featured Trevor Zegers. How many times do you see hockey, (laughs) no matter what it is, on Good Morning America? So 
I love that, but I think the Ducks are going to be a team where, yes, they're a younger team, but I think they're going to be a contender in that Western Conference in a couple of years. I don't think they're there yet. We saw, I mean, they showed us last year flashes of them possibly being a Western Conference contender. I mean, they fell off as you went on, but they have pieces in place to eventually be that wild card team in the West. I want, I want them to be a good team in a conference that can threaten the... Uh, the Vegases, Edmonton, Calgary. That's a young dynamic team that when they're going, if they go to a long playoff run, it's good for the game to have a young team like that. That's dynamic in the Western Conference going deep in the postseason, I feel. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to argue with you there. I, I, you know, for me, one of the things that has been interesting about going into this next season is like watching Anaheim fans kind of try to figure out where the team is you know eddie you can speak to this as well like it it feels like anaheim or fans are kind of constantly fighting themselves over oh shit we got these guys like this is going to be great and then also like we're not there yet we're not there yet everybody wait every and and there's this very real tension inside of of the fan base uh as far as like where this team should be this year and it's it's fascinating yeah there's a realistic scenario where they could be a lot better than they look or they could be a lot worse. It's you're in this middle ground where you're waiting for kids and prospects to take steps forward. And there's a good chance Zegris and Terry come out and do either exactly what they did or significantly better and get into that 80 to 90 point territory. Mason McTavish comes into this league and challenges for the Calder trophy and you add, you know, John Klingberg to that back end. You've got Dmitry Kulikov in this year. John Gibson has a resurgence back to when he was challenging for the Vesna Trophy. And then all of a sudden, this is a team that if Vancouver falls off, if Vegas can't figure out their situation, okay, maybe they sneak in for a wild card spot. You've got that little bit of optimism that, okay, there's like enough here to say that that's possible if all these things pan out. And then there's another side of the fan base is like, yeah, you know what, like, we lost Linton, we lost Manson, we lost Raquel, and we kind of sort of replaced that, but it's not significantly better. And we were one of the worst teams in the league last year, so we're going to go for Connor Bernard this year. So it's a weird split. A lot of that has to do with a new general manager and a new direction, but it's still fun, right? It's still it's still a fun place to be in because we've been in this, like, you know, in the dirt for so long, and then now Trevor Zegers comes out and Mason McTavish has an excellent year and Troy Terry pops off and is a lot of fun to watch that. I think even for us fans this year, with the Ducks being bad, there were still a lot of fun moments. And obviously Trevor Zegers is at the center of most of those, so you have to give him a lot of credit for that. But uh, it was it was fun to watch despite them being bad. So there's a lot of optimism that they could be better. But I think there's there's some realists. I know, Stephen, you're a part of that that thinks that uh, or assumes that things will likely be the same as it was last year. Yeah, I... I... <sighs> You know, this is one of those things for me where it's hard for me to kind of separate like my personal bias versus me trying to be like objective and thoughtful. But like, I am Eddie. You know this, and Avery. You have the the unfortunate uh, happenstance of walking into this at the moment. But like, I love Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson. Like, I truly think that is maybe the best pair of shutdown defensemen Anaheim has ever had. I think at one point they were one of the best shutdown pairs in the entire league. I think the team deteriorated around them the in a way that really hindered their ability to be successful. Um, and, and 
I really worry about this team and, and their ability to keep pucks out of their own end because I think, you know, as much as I'm trying to fight it, it, it really does feel like this is the year where it is Gibby's make or break. Like, he's had it like three up and three down. And so now at this point, it's like you're either the guy from the first three or the guy from the second three, and you've got to choose, like, immediately. And if he's not the guy from the first three, I don't know that a defense of where the top four is Cam Fowler, John Klingberg, Jamie Driesdale, and uh, now Dmitry Kulikov. Like, I don't know how many teams they're stopping from scoring. And it just feels to me like they're a, 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 they're a year or two behind kind of what we're talking about with Ottawa, where they have these incredibly talented young forwards and then a hole at the back. That's just like, there's, Technically, we have six defensemen. They're there. You can look at them. They're on the bench. Like, I don't know how realistic some of this, you know, push for a wild card spot is. But I also don't know that it's fair to think, well, they're probably one of the bottom five teams in the league, given who we know some of these bottom five teams are going to be. Like, the bottom three spots are feel almost locked up to me in Chicago, Arizona, and Montreal. Like, I feel like those should be the three worst teams in the league at the end of the year. I think they're in a similar spot when you look at teams that have improved that were bad last year. I feel like they're in the same mix as a Detroit or as an Ottawa in the sense that they were bad last year. They've added they should be better if a lot of things go right, but there's a good chance that they could still regress or be the same as last year. And there's always a few of those teams in the mix. I feel like Columbus could be one of those teams this year again with adding Johnny Goodrow. New Jersey, I think people expect to be better than they were last year. Seattle as well. But the realistic scenario is some of those teams will, and some of those teams will produce better. Some of them will be the same as last year. Some of them will be worse. That's just the case with a lot of these teams because so many things have to go right in the same cases with the Ducks. So many things and so many stars have to align for them to be a playoff team that it can only happen for one, maybe two teams in this league to really yeah. jump. And we see that every year. One team surprises everybody and either makes the playoffs or gets really close to it when we thought they were going to be bad. And one team pulls a Philadelphia where people thought they were going to be good and they finish in the bottom five of the league and, and end up getting uh, the fifth overall pick. So, you, know, you see that every year, and, and it's it's kind of fun to be in that position as the Ducks and kind of not know and have a little bit of optimism that they could be good. Again, Avery, we really just cannot tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time to spend with us and, and talking about this with us. It's It's been a genuine pleasure. Um, I, I am sure that we will bother you soon about coming back on, and then you can feel free to completely ignore my DMs. It's totally fine. <laughs> I, I would do it to me, too, if I could. Um Please tell the people where they can find you because I'm trying to imagine anybody doesn't want to fucking read your stuff or listen to your stuff or anything that you do because you're wonderful and I adore you and I would love for everybody to support you. Avery, I think you're on mute again, bud. There we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the background. I didn't want the fan to get in the shots. Okay, so I'll say it again. So but you can find all my work on where, where, you find my work on Twitter at Avery at A-V-R-Y. You'll find all my links there to when I post stuff for Yahoo, Hockey News, Three Down Nation, my podcast, Avery Sports Show, and Brian Avery Hour. I'm always, I'm always, I'm perpetually online talking <laughs> hockey, basketball, football, 
NFL Blitz being censored, you know, <laughs> that kind of good stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. I still don't understand why you would bring that game back if you're not just going to let it be an absolute disaster. It was the best part of the game. Like like I said, Stephen Hunter, like I said, before, when you boot the game up, put a disclaimer on there. Yep. Um, from the NFL, NFLPA, 1UP, Football Greats Alliance, you know, this game was presented how it was 25 years ago. These are not the values we hold today. You know, don't try this at home. Yeah. Here you go. Yeah, don't do, a, don't do an elbow drop on the opposing quarterback <laughs> five <laughs> seconds after the whistle. I think we can agree yeah, with don't, that. Yeah, don't Hulk Hogan leg drop someone after a sack, you know. <laughs> That's dangerous. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, again, like I, I, really, I, I really am just repeating myself with this. But, again, thank you so much, Avery. Um, Eddie, whatever. I don't care. Uh, you see me enough. Everybody listen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can't get away from you. Uh, everybody listening, um, we are still going to continue to do the uh, the three other uh, division previews with the deep dives. Uh, I think the poll for which Eastern Conference division you guys are going to get to pick from is, is ended today, so I'll probably put the next bit of that up tomorrow. And uh, thank you, everybody, for for staying with us this offseason, and, and hopefully you uh, enjoy the handful of stuff we're putting out there for you guys. So thank you very much.